baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. All right, welcome back. Second hour of the Mark Reardon Show on this Monday afternoon. We've all just been in the studio complaining about the weather because it sort of sucks right now. It's cold. It's 20 degrees. It feels like it's chillier than that, and we don't have a lot of hope this week, although I think it's going to get to like 45 on Thursday. Uh, Fred's going on a big ski trip this week, so you might as well just get used to the weather, Fred, Fred right? Are you big skier, you? Uh, no, I'm not, but I'm a big supporter of my family, so I will be there and do whatever they tell me to do. Now, I think I asked you this before. Have, you have skied previously I've or not? I've skied before, but again, it was before marriage, so it's been 24, 25 years so ago. So you're going to take a lesson? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. You, do you have the outfit? I went out over the weekend and, and bought bibs. Which I felt really stupid trying them on because it's just so well, not yeah, me. No, but that's okay. That's yeah. all right. Well, where, where did you go? Like Dicks. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Dicks there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if you went to Farm and Fleet or something. Like that. <laughs> Fred, I'll tell no. you what. No, I was, I was waiting for him to kick me out. <laughs> I've only gone skiing once in college, and I was on the bunny slope for an extended period of time. And when they took me to the top, I thought, what am I doing? Yeah, right. I think when you learn as a kid, it's probably oh, 8,000 times better. I had kids whizzing by me. Look, I remember the second So I took lessons. I went out there before Alexa was born. It was probably the year before Alexa was born, so eight years ago, nine years ago. And my wife was a snowboarder, so she she was pretty good. This time, I think she was. No, she was snowboarding. Sometimes they don't let you snowboard, depending on where you are. But where we were in Breckenridge, yeah, you can snowboard. So I said, I'm going to take lessons. I took lessons for two days. I remember going the second day lessons. Was it two days of lessons? It was two days of lessons no yeah. it was uh, you know, okay and i was planning on that but i remember the second day of lessons i was walking up to where i needed to report to and there were these two little kids and they were probably like eight years old and there was a ski instructor that said so are we going to do the blacks today and I, oh, i'm like come oh, on. Oh. no they were doing the blacks these little kids now maybe they were 10 i don't know but they the guy I'm i thought he you. was joking around he was not joking around so i take my two days of lessons i feel relatively good not mm-hmm. great i'm gonna do it on my own now that was massive, massive failure. <laughs> My signature move on the slopes was to come down. Now, I was told that because when I was there, Fred, there was a bunch of snow, like three feet of snow, so a lot of powder. People who are experienced, they love that, right? But my signature move was coming down the hill, kind of getting stuck, and then I'd be facing in the other direction, and then I would slide down the hill a few yards <laughs> with my skis, and then I would oh fall over. Oh, my gosh, over. we're twin skiers. And That's I was what good I at that. I was really good at yes. that. And then I'd have to pick myself up, and I'd say the word that starts with F a lot, and I just, <laughs> it was massive failure. So I've said for a decade now almost, I loved everything about Breckenridge except for the actual skiing. Uh, I, at one point on the last day, had no leg strength left. And when one of those uh, people, the, uh, the you know, the, the slope people came by on yeah. a snowmobile, I actually said, 
may I please have a ride to the bottom? <laughs> so, Fred. Well, I, I have no leg strength to begin with, so I think I'm going to be in a lot of see, trouble. See, people, I'd this be was when I was, now, so but, this is what's amazing, because this was probably the height of my cycling fitness, which yeah. was, for a while, it was pretty good. Yes. And I thought, oh, I got leg strength, I could fit. Yeah. No. But it's I have no, muscles. Like, we also have to be coordinated, and I have no coordination. Oh, yeah. And I kept seeing people, this is the other thing, kept seeing Stretchers go up the hill and people yes! come in. I'm like, no. There's a lot of the stretchers. I don't want that, Fred. Right, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of that. My wife came down the hill on the back, like holding onto the waist of one of the instructors. <laughs> so she got up to the top and then yes. just rode all the way down with him. Listen, if somebody would have offered that to me, I would have done it. It's like tandem skydiving. Look. I'm happy you're taking some time for yourself uh-huh. and the family, mm-hmm. but if you're out longer than those four days, I know, all right? I know. I'm telling you right now. Now, we do have an update here. Fred's going to have to help us with something here because it's a big football day yesterday. However, I was informed yesterday afternoon, right around the start of the Chiefs game, that there was some counter-programming going on, and Fred noticed this because he's our Gilligan's Island's expert. You know, I was, you know, up 8, 7 or 8 a.m. in the morning and flipping around trying to see if there's any, like, pre-game coverage yeah, already because yeah, yeah. I was really excited about both of the uh, conference games. But as, as I was going around, going around on the dial, I got to the Sundance channel, and it was a Gilligan's Island marathon. I saw some of it. So it was really <laughs> you cool. You actually did? Well, I saw that it was listed, okay, and I wait. thought, won't Fred enjoy but that? But what I this. found out was that I never thought of Gilligan's Island as needing a viewer discretion label. What? Yeah. So every so often between the shows, this would flash up on the screen. This program includes language and cultural stereotypes inconsistent with modern standards. Gilligan's Island was made in the 60s. Times change, but the castaways are still stranded. Isn't that amazing? Viewer discretion is advised. Okay, when I did tune in, this is, and I know that you still love the Gilligan's Island, and I think it's not. Careful, careful here, Sue. I'm with Fred on the love for Gilligan's Island. It's not as, uh, uh, it did not hold up as well as some other shows, (laughs) said Sue, in a desperate attempt to say something positive. But here's the scene I saw. Marianne was standing, no. Ginger. Ginger's the star, right? The, yes, the movie yes, star. Right. She's standing by a coconut tree, and they can't, can't get coconuts to fall. And Gilligan says, well, I don't know what to do. How am I going to get that? And she says, well, I'll just do this. And, like, makes a move with her butt. Like a sexy move, and the coconuts fall down. And I yeah. thought, well, maybe yeah. that's uh, hmm. hmm. Okay, sexy moves bring down coconuts. <laughs> Gilligan's Island Gilligan's has Island, a content warning in 2023. Right. That says so much about where the planet is, especially this country right now. It's pretty sad, but let's do this here. These allegations are deeply concerning. Does the president have any comment? We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. No, 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 no. And now, Sue's News. Brought to you by Sue. Imagine I almost, though, being, being that kind of person who has to sit around and think, to her, they're so angry about a show that was on in the late 1960s, <laughs> early 70s, that we have to somehow protect people from it, right? <laughs> I think you want to hang out with those people? I do not. Uh, no, well, no. That's someone with a little too much time. Way yes, too much yes. time. Uh, I would have shown you that move that she made, and then I realized we're on camera. So that's <laughs> that got, uh, that you got did, scrapped. You did a I was going to do a, shake, but though. I didn't do the real one. <laughs> Football yesterday, Holy Toledo. Fred, uh, did you break away from Gilligan's Island to watch any? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I watched both games all the way. 
first one was a little bit slower than the, than the second yeah, one. Yeah. First, well, let me, I said this earlier, and Fred, I, I had texted you because my question was simply, did you hear that? <laughs> and you said no. And I was referring to Anita Baker's national anthem, which just, God love her, but it was not good at all. Just, which no. was, was it the just exact opposite key? of the one in the second game. Because the singer yeah, in that game, great. and I think he's like a Marine, and I think Every he does, some of, the, was he does awesome. some of the blues yeah. games, too. Because he's like a Missouri oh. guy, I think. Because he was in Kansas that. City. That yeah, guy was, was amazing. amazing. Wow. That was. I'm glad you brought that up because the compare and contrast, and I'm, you know, maybe it was just an off day. It just it was Is not good. So if I would have played this to you, and you would have said, "Wait, that's a professional singer." She was just off. Is yeah, that it? it just off key? Yeah. But that whole, dude was amazing. Gerardo or something. I can't think of his name. Wow. But. And I thought about pulling the audio, but we don't need to make no, fun of Anita no, anymore we than we already have. And she was trending on Twitter like right after. So it wasn't just me. I promise you that. Poor woman. Uh, Djokovic beat uh, Tsitsipas to win the uh, Australian Open, and he has now the most ever Grand Slam wins. Well, he's tied with Nadal at 22. I'm just throwing that in for you. know, this was one of the finals where I don't think I could pronounce any of the names of the four people that were in the finals <laughs> like, for men's and the women's. Well, I'm sure or, yeah, yeah, I know. It's but You have to listen with the audio up or I, I, you'd never get it because no. you can't just look at the words. On this day in history, 90 years ago, Mark, this has a little bit of audio. This was in 1933. The Lone Ranger was heard on the radio for the very first time. very fond Lone Ranger memories from when I was a kid. I really do. Oh, I think we need a view of discretion. Well, there's no doubt you get, you need that for the Lone Ranger for sure. Abby, did you um, have any time in your childhood with the Lone Ranger? No. I didn't think so. Actually, huh. this I know this song, but I didn't realize it was the Lone Ranger like theme. Well, so pulling yeah. the song, I was like, oh, okay, that uh-huh. makes sense. So like from a cartoon yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've just heard it my whole life somewhere. And I remember coming home from, you know, Fred and I shared the bond of uh, the Wisconsin Synod Lutheran Church. And I remember Sunday mornings, we'd go to church and we'd come back and hang out in my grandparents' house and in the basement in particular. And the Lone Ranger would be on. That's sort of what one of the childhood memories that I have. I remember it in uh, in black and white, right? Yeah. Yeah, they'd show that stuff. Tonto is somehow verboten, though. You can't say that, uh, right? You know, of course, this actually is the William Tell overture. Yes, it's yes. not the, I just don't want Abby thinking. No. <laughs> this yeah. is the actual theme. But too. this is what it's like known yes. for besides yes. that. Yeah. By the way, it ran on radio for 2,956 episodes before ending 22 years later in 1955. I know. And 50 years ago today, this one has music too. In 1973, Kiss played their first concert and it was at a place called the Popcorn Club. They earned 50 bucks for performing there. Oh my. And the audience was made up of less than 10 people. This was their very first hit kind of in 1974 that I pulled out. Nice uh, nice way to hit the post there, Sue. There you go. I like that. I don't know if I remember this song. I didn't. I had, you know, this was when I was coming of age musically, and I was starting to get into Zeppelin and some other bands, and I had a very good friend, my friend John Spacuza, who lived down the block from me, who was also a drummer, loved Kiss. And I had I had a bit of a dis- 
disconnect with Kiss back in the day. Yeah, was it the costumes, the makeup, or was it just... I liked some of the music I did. Yeah, that's fair. But I've seen them one time. I went to the amphitheater maybe 10 years ago just because I needed to check it off the bucket list. And I thought, i got to see Kiss. I get it. We've interviewed, we've had, um, well, I've interviewed Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons over the years a couple of different times. Oh, that's interesting. By the way, uh, side note, it's National Bubble Wrap Appreciation Day. Oh, my goodness. I bought a big pile of bubble wrap yesterday. What, to carry your bibs to Colorado? (laughs) (laughs) No, I had to send a big piece of artwork to my son in Atlanta. Oh, my gosh. So I had to wrap it up in bubble, bubble wrap. Do you like to? Uh, are uh, you no, a, no, no, I'm not. Oh, I would. I was afraid to pop anything because I didn't want to ruin it. Mark, are you a popper of the bubble wrap? I can kind of see very that very much. So. Yeah, uh-huh. yes, I love uh-huh. it. Abby? I like the bigger bubble. You like the yeah, little, the big one. Yes, bubbles. much yeah. more satisfying. Yeah. I like the littler ones. They're easy to pop. <laughs> the other ones get to be personal too hard. preference. Abby, go yes. big or go home. That's You're- what I say. <laughs> uh, let's see. Also uh, today, there was a story out. About Yellowstone fans, because Kevin Costner, you can now stay in his actual real-life ranch. This is how much it will cost you, okay? It's in Aspen, Colorado, by the way, not Montana. $36,000 a night. That's it. You know what? Someone will do that, though. You'll find people willing to do it. Could you get a, a discount? Since you kind of know, well, you're him. close personal no, friends. I don't <laughs> believe that I'd be afforded the discount. <laughs> I could okay. say I still have that. his cousin's contact number. I could check with Rod, his cousin, <laughs> say, "Hey, can I get the, uh, you know, the can I the half price, the St. Louis guy discount who had dinner with him one time? That's all I would have. <laughs> can I get the one where I was only in the studio and had a bad photo? Here's me. <laughs> That's nothing. I got nothing. And here's what the money gets you: nearly six thousand square feet of living space. He's got 160 acres, 12 bedrooms, eight bathrooms, 24-7 caretakers on site. Here's a surprise, a baseball field. Uh, Doesn't that make you happy? That kind of makes me happy. A sledding hill and three hot tubs. It's also just (laughs) minutes from downtown Aspen. Because one is not enough. Mark, you want me to wrap it up or do you want me to keep Uh, going? I can do one more. Okay. Uh, We have a company in Japan that has created wearable beanbag chairs. (sighs) Maybe we shouldn't done another. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What? They go on over your head, but the beanbag hangs around you kind of like a fat suit. And the idea is whenever you're tired, you can just plop right down. I could use that on the slopes. (laughs) I wouldn't have as far to fall. I could just You're right. You can put that, that, slip that sucker over the bibs, and you're good to go. They come in four colors, Fred. Moss green, (laughs) natural beige, mocha, and charcoal gray. Three different sizes, too. Uh, the large is 120 bucks, and it weighs 11 pounds. To me, you look like, what was the blueberry girl that blew up in uh, Willy Wonka? Uh, Come on. Veruca? Veruca. Yeah. You look wow. like, Veruca it, 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 it's yeah. like a Veruca salt suit. And finally, in Sue's News, we have today's random fact. Nearly half of all millennials, now that's 47%, have tattoos, compared with 13% of boomers. 29% of Americans have at least one tattoo, up from 21% 10 years ago. And politics doesn't matter. 27% of Republicans have tattoos, 28% of independents, and 29% of Democrats. It's equal. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? It crosses all boundaries. I have one. Oh, you do? Fred has, like, if for those people who have never seen Fred in real life, he has, like, a neck tattoo. He kind of looks like Yachty. I'm Fred Bottenheimer over there, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes. He just wears the shirts that don't show it off. 
That's what I, I think. Have to oh. wear these arm sleeves. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's understandable. Abby, Fred. I can't remember. Nope, don't oh. have any. Well, we're in the 29 percentile here. Yeah, I've right? tattoo free. 25 percent to be exact. And that's it for Sue's news. All right. Thank you, Sue. 423, Patrick Ishmael from the Show Me Institute. Uh, they had a little controversy in Columbia over a drag show a couple weeks ago. But if you go back even further, there was more controversy over indoctrination. And Patrick, who's with the Show Me Institute, is going to join us. Kusamano at 445, talking sports. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. So the former president was in New Hampshire the other night. This campaign will be about the future. This campaign will be about issues. Joe Biden has put America on the fast track to ruin and destruction, and we will ensure that he does not receive four more years. So uh, Josh Krasauer, our one of our, one of my 97.1 FM Talk political insiders with Axios, was at that speech. He'll chime in, give us his uh, take after 5 o'clock. And also in the next hour, I'm very excited about this because I just wrapped up watching the film and it's very, very good on Netflix. It's uh, the book that we were all, you know, I guess I say forced to read, but we all, I think, were forced to read it when we were younger, All Quiet on the Western Front. There is a German film that was just nominated for a ton of Oscars and BAFTAs, and there's a strong St. Louis connection. A guy named Daniel Dreyfus, who's one of the producers who spent some uh, key time here in St. Louis and also Columbia, he's going to join us in the next hour here. It's a very harrowing and realistic uh, war movie. I like Good war movies. This is a very good war movie. It's very tough to watch. So we know, and we chronicled this a uh, couple of weeks ago, and certainly on the Reardon Roundtable with this drag show. I guess this goes back about 13 days or so when they were having the uh, MLK celebrations. It was supposed to be a diversity event, and you had a drag show that was controversial because a lot of the kids there were, um, the parents were unaware they were going to be at a drag show. So that was part of the controversy. And uh, Patrick Ishmael is with us from the Show Me Institute, who's done some work looking at some of the things that they do in the Columbia Public School District. You revealed something about this in the past that's probably still relevant today about the 1619 Project. He joins us this afternoon. Hey, Patrick, welcome back. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you, Mark? Fine. So what, what was your reaction at first? Look, this is I got into it last week with a guy who I was friends with from Milwaukee, and it turned into be a, a huge, huge deal on Twitter. And then we, we kind of both backed out of it because, you know, people started getting crazy. But they did something at a Milwaukee. I spent uh, about 10 years in Milwaukee, and they did something recently at a Milwaukee Bucks halftime show where they had a drag show, right? And 
you know, my position was there was a, a guy, Doug Russell is his name, that was promoting this on um, his social media saying, hey, you know, it's not that big of a deal. What's the big deal? It's just a drag show. And my response was, look, I, I'm a fan of Kinky Boots. I saw it on Broadway. I don't know if you're familiar with that show. It deals with a, um, a drag theme, if you will. But there's a difference between that and actually uh, choosing to go to an event, making an adult choice, knowing that there's something like that involved compared to what happened in Milwaukee at the Bucks game or even in Columbia, Patrick, at that at that particular event for um, diversity. I don't know why people don't understand the difference between those two things. Well, I, I do think that, you know, if you're a private company, you're, you're free to, of course, promote whatever points of view that you like. But I think in the context of government, I mean, government exists because it's able to take money from us, you know, through force. I mean, that's what taxation is, of course. And so it has an obligation at a bare minimum to be transparent about how it's operating. And, and so to any extent that, uh, you know, a school district or a city or a county is kind of hiding the ball when it comes to kind of hot button cultural issues like this, I think that is a, a kind of a big deal. And, of course, with the Columbia Public School District back in 2021, they accepted a grant for the 1619 project to, to teach in, in classrooms, to train teachers into it. Uh, and we were aware of this. We had uh, been working on our Show Me Curriculum project at the time, had sent requests across the state. And so we were aware of it. But we found out, you know, probably later that summer, we had published on this. It was public knowledge or should have been public knowledge. And yet the Columbia Public School District at that time was denying that it was teaching the content, which is kind of crazy town. I think we're kind of in a, in a rough circumstance right now uh, when it comes to trust in government, because it isn't that we should you know, trust government without you know, questioning it. But I think that a lot of parents and a lot of taxpayers are kind of realizing that uh, the government doesn't trust the taxpayer. And I think taxpayers are now becoming much more skeptical of government, and I think appropriately so. You, you see in Kansas City, for instance, that uh, there is a, uh, a lawsuit that is going through the courts right now where a former spokesperson for the city was demoted. And he's now suing the city because he says that he was demoted because he wouldn't lie about some infrastructure projects. And what the city said in response was that, well, uh, there's no law against us lying to the public. And so whether it's a school district or a city or a county or the state itself, I I think there has to be an expectation of transparency when you ask for the transparency. But also, I think that you need to have the curricula posted online. I think you need to have all these documents. Anything that has public money being spent on it needs to be public knowledge from the get-go because I think that also heads off maybe poor decisions or poor behavior that otherwise might happen. Yeah. But why uh, wouldn't yeah, it be no, public no knowledge? What, why, that, that's so confusing to me that that's something that, you, you know, educators feel needs to be kept somewhat confidential at times. I, I think that there's just maybe discomfort. They don't want to have to field tough questions. And, and I understand like the, the emotional uh, impulse to try to hide the ball uh, but, like, when you have rural school districts saying that, you know, in our case, they wanted to charge us over $200,000 to get their curricular documents. We were asking, you know, what, what are you teaching kids? Uh, $100,000, you know, whatever, whatever the number is, especially if you're just a member of the, the general public and you made a similar kind of ask, you see a number like that and you're basically not going to get those documents. I, I think that the, the reason – there may be a part of them that actually feels uncomfortable because they don't think that parents might go along with whatever they're trying to teach kids or wherever they might be trying to take kids. And so they'd rather just not talk about it and, you know, kind of sweep it under the rug. But that, that doesn't justify it. I think that if you want to have good governance, if you want to have trust in your stewardship of, of government, because these are all employees of the public, every elected politician, every bureaucrat, 
is your employee. And so if you had an employee that was hiding things from you, I think in general, you would probably as, as their employer be inclined to fire that person. And I, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it, it's much better for both sides for all these documents to be public immediately, whether it's spending or, or uh, uh, in the case of schools curricula or, or, or in this case of schools as well, like performance data, having that all out there because you, you cannot be accused of hiding things because it's already out there. And the incentive to try to lie about it kind of goes away because you can't lie about it at that point. I think it's good for both sides. And hopefully, uh, you know, the legislature itself will pass some laws this year that actually effectuate that so parents can see exactly what's going on in their schools. So uh, let's go back to the 1619 Project in particular, and I I don't want to lose people. So explain for people who don't know maybe what that is uh, and what the New York Times and Nicole Hannah-Jones did and why it might be problematic in a classroom. Yeah, so the 1619 Project is basically like a historical uh, uh, anthology. And so it goes through and, and makes claims about kind of what the United States was founded on. And so it was founded on slavery, for instance. And a lot of the, the different parts of this project, because it's, kind of, it's not just written, but I believe there's a, a documentary now that's been put on Hulu. Uh, it, yeah, it's I just saw the, yeah, right. It, it, it led me to my tweet last week that said it's time to cancel Hulu. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, yeah. I can and, confirm and, and, that. And, and there's a there's a grant program associated to, to get it into school. So it's, it's a lot of different things, but um, there's a lot of overlap between it and things like intersectionality and critical race theory. It's this idea that, you know, the United States is built on oppression. And, and so you can believe that or not. But I think that at a bare minimum uh, for a controversial approach to history like that, that in a lot of cases, the veracity of that telling is is has been put in question quite a quite a bit. You have to be honest. By the way, that. not not only by conservatives, right? There are liberal people in academia that have also criticized the 1619 Project. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Folks who, who aren't don't have any particular kind of political affiliation whatsoever. And so, you know, I think there needs to be certainly a debate about a lot of these subjects. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think that from the perspective of K-12 education, you have to be letting parents find out, like, what is is you know, going to be in their books or where they're going or what they're going to be learning about. Um, because if you if you let it go kind of off the rails, it's very easy to find yourself in a place where, I mean, there's a there's a, a, a charter school in the St. Louis area, and this is, deals with, like, teacher trainings, but the teachers themselves are trained that uh, uh, we live in a cage of oppression, that men oppress all women, that Christians oppress all other religions, that uh, the able-bodied oppress the disabled, and that you have minority groups that are collaborating with the majority if they believe that you can get ahead based on merit. That is not just going to stay in the teacher training. That is going to show up in the classroom. And the real question is, where is it already in the classroom? And we already know that there have been attempts to hide uh, a lot of these materials by uh, either not reducing it to writing in the curricula or in, in the lesson plans, or by just using different language to kind of, you know, get it under under the radar i mean that we have video of, of the the curriculum development groups talking about those things and so but the reality here is that if, if you want to make sure that everyone is is able to trust one another at least as best as they can between government and taxpayers transparency is enormously important and whether you're talking about a parent's bill of rights that looks at all these transparency elements or whether you're just passing just a straight up transparency measures that says uh, you need to publish all your curricula and all your lesson plans, uh, you know, within a, a month of uh, of school starting or or before school starts. Whatever the whatever the reform looks like, 
uh, I think it's long in coming, and I think the longer that it, it kind of uh, lingers and doesn't get done, I think you're going to have a lot more instances like in Columbia where parents are getting shocked by what's happening. But, you know, what, what are their options, really, if the, the district isn't going to be straight with them? Well, that, that's the question. And, you know, you can, I, I can elevate this to higher education also with what's happening with DeSantis and the, um, you know, the Advanced Placement African-Americans course, studies course, which, as you know, and I've mentioned this several times, you never see any kind of piece that's written about that that includes the curriculum, that actually specifies some of the things that DeSantis and the others in Florida have justifiable reasons to be concerned about, because most of the media doesn't even want to tell you what's in there. They just want to make it seem like, well, this is racist to be opposed to this. Yeah, I, I, the, the fascinating thing to me is that, you know, there's a, a lot of talk of, quote, local control. And, and as a general matter, like local control is important. I, I mean, local governments are in the end a managerial convenience to the state. But the idea that you just kind of give a, a, a license to, to local bureaucrats to kind of do what they want. I mean, I, I don't think that any person in this state would tolerate the idea of any district or any school of any kind saying something like white supremacy is something that should be acceptable. Absolutely not. And I think that if there was such an institution, uh, the, state, the state should certainly step in and say that is not going to go. But the, the question, though, at that point is like if we, if we uh, adopted the idea that there are things that are, should be off the table or should be taught in a certain kind of way, whose responsibility is it to set those standards? And at the end of the day, it has to be the state. The state has to take responsibility for making sure that kids are properly educated. And in a state like Missouri, where one in three kids, only one in three kids can do math at grade level, that means two out of three cannot. And I don't know about you, but if I got 33% on a test, that would be an F. But in the state of Missouri, we have, I believe, zero unaccredited schools. It's one thing to say that we need local control, but it's nothing to say that we're just going to let local local bureaucrats kind of run the show and, and have the state go on autopilot. I think the effect of that has been a lot of failure uh, academically. And instead of focusing on reading, writing, and arithmetic, uh, if kids are going to drag shows, I think that that shows a, a real uh, misplacement of priorities when it comes to a lot of these local officials. Absolutely. Patrick Ishmael from the Show Me Institute. I appreciate the insight on this. And by the way, I have a, uh, you know, social studies indoctrinator son who's a teacher in Columbia who came home with the 1619 Project not too long ago for his um, his assigned reading that I don't think he was assigning to the class, but it's there. Let's face it. Patrick, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. All right. Take care. Frank Cusimano is with us. He visits on Monday and Friday afternoons at this very time from KSDK at 445. And Frank, I was just telling Sue because I just got the email from my alma mater, the University of Missouri, after winning this game on Saturday against Iowa State. They sold out the um, the AM game, which is on the 18th. They've had six sellouts already. When is the last time, Frank Cusimano, that you think that the basketball program has had six or more sellouts in a season? It had to have been quite some time ago. Well, yeah, you may have to go back to that Frank Hayes uh, year when they won 31 games. Yeah, Mike Anderson had a couple of stretches. That was probably it, but Mike Anderson had a couple of stretches too. But look, this team, once again, I mean, they put it on them on Saturday afternoon. That one wasn't even close. And if they would have rebounded a little bit better in the first half, it probably would have been even a bigger margin. Yeah, if you're scoring at home, this is the third time that they've dismantled a top 25 team. Illinois was, I think, 93-71. I think Kentucky was 89-75. And then this weekend against an Iowa State team, 78-61, they were the 12th ranked team in the country. I mean, I'd say, Mark, I was looking at the um, 
some of the, Jerry Palm came out with the field of 64, field of 68. He has Missouri as high as a five seed. And in one of them, by the way, they have Mizzou as a five playing slew in the opening round as a 12. That would be the greatest thing ever. I, I'm thinking unless they completely – it's early, right? But I, I think a five, a four, five, or six seed is not out of the question for this team. Now, they're not ranked this week. I looked, and I'm okay with that because I think that maybe, you know, you still – if you're not getting respect, maybe that fires you up just a little bit more. And let's segue into football because maybe that's what happened with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs because the mayor of Cincinnati did something that got the attention of Brittany Mahomes and that team, and it gave him a little bullet, bulletin board material, didn't it, Frank? Yeah, saying that uh, they've done a paternity test, and actually Joe Burrow is Patrick Mahomes' daddy because he'd beaten him three straight. Right. Well, you know, God bless Joe Burrow, who's the second-best quarterback in the world, but the best one is Mahomes. And, you know, you almost need these kind of signature, dramatic, courageous victories. What what do we remember about Kirk Gibson, the moment? Uh, Michael Jordan playing with the flu, Willis Reed, Game 7. And that was three hours in a full-impact collision sport of him limping on that leg, and he makes the biggest play of the game with about 20 seconds to go, taking off on the scramble. This is what legends are made out of. And I think 15 years from now, there's going to be a debate between he and Tom Brady, who the greatest quarterback of all time is. This guy, uh, Mike Tanier from Football Outsiders, said, Kansas City head coach Andy Reid is so brilliant that he'll be coaching against his own legacy in Super Bowl 57 because he used to be there with the Eagles, didn't he? Yeah, how about that, too? All-time winningest coach in Eagles history, and he's just a couple of games away from doing that uh, with the Chiefs. So he could be the all-time winningest coach in two different franchises. Plus, you have the Kelsey brothers. They're two years apart. They grew up in the same room. They're both all pros. Them going head-to-head, although they won't actually be hitting each other. And you have probably the two leading MVP candidates in Jalen Hurts and Mahomes going head-to-head. What so, Super Bowl it's going to be? I like the Kelsey brothers' story and everything, but I'm going to guarantee you that by – about two weeks from now, we're going to be so sick and tired of hearing the yeah, Kelsey Brothers story. They're going to maybe. say, man, are the Kelsey Brothers really playing? Uh, because that <laughs> tends to happen. Uh, Brock Purdy gets hurt in the first game. And as I've said a couple of times, I think that game got off to a terrible start, even with Anita Baker in the national anthem. But it just wasn't the same. And the 49ers were in that game. In fact, that first touchdown should not have been a touchdown. They blew a third and long call. They gave them the first down, even though it wasn't a catch. So if there was a challenge, maybe things turn out differently. In the end, though, the Eagles were just too much for a team that didn't have a quarterback who could throw the ball. Yeah, it's really a shame. In fact, the NFL ought to adopt a rule that you should be allowed to dress three quarterbacks for playoff games. I mean, we had the biggest game of the entire football season happening, and you have a fourth-string quarterback hurt, and the third stringer can't throw the ball. There should be another guy in shoulder pads. That's not the way to play a football game. That doesn't seem that unrealistic, and it's something probably that they'll bring up in front of the competition committee in the offseason. I think so, too. And, you know, Mark, I wonder, too, what that does to the 49ers' future at quarterback. Okay, so they have this Trey Lance who's coming off a really serious knee injury who nobody knows that he can play. And then you have Brock Purdy who may have a really serious elbow injury. Who knows? That could be a Tommy John. He may not be ready for a long, long time. I wonder if it makes them think, hey, we've got this great team with all these veterans in the primes of their career. Maybe we should go get the GOAT. Tom Brady to have him come home and play his final season there because he never gets hurt. I don't know if they'll do that because there's a real luxury in, in just paying a quarterback $800,000 a year like they do with Purdy, but 
I think there's some interesting questions with the 49ers moving forward at that spot. I, I'm not a 49ers fan, but I did love the Brock Purdy story. And one of the things I said to my wife yesterday is, man, I hope that that kid didn't screw up his whole career with that injury because the way his arm yeah. bent back, mm. it didn't look good. Mm. And he had, I, he, man, that, that guy, I know that there were Warner comparisons and we were getting ahead of ourselves, but he was cool as a cucumber under a lot of pressure. And I think that game would have been very interesting if he could have made it through. Yeah, it would have been. I'd like to think with the advances in medical technology with Tommy John and guys coming back throwing actually harder, it'll be okay. But you are right, especially if you look at still photos of the way that elbow and that arm were bent back on that hit. Hey, Frank, we don't have time to talk about the Blues. What a shame. I think we'll wrap it right here. (laughs) We'll talk Friday. All right. We'll see you. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.